Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. So tonight, we're going to be talking about right and wrong thinking. Hallelujah. You know, the, the word is just so full of so many good subjects and so many things that can teach us and, and make our lives so much better and, and just expand the way we look at things and, and open our hearts and our vision and our eyes to, to things that we've never even thought about before. But you know, so much of it comes, comes right down to how you think. How you think. So tonight, basically, what we're going to be talking about tonight is, I, I think, what, what you think about you. You know, and, and next week might be a different, I don't know, I don't know about next week. We'll think about next week after I get through with this tonight. But you know, thinking influences every single part of our lives. You know, you, you are a creature that God designed. You are a three-part being. You have a physical body. You are a spirit man, number one, that, that lives in a physical body, and you have this thing called the mind. You know, and, and as being three parts, we have to deal with all three parts. When we get born again, God totally recreates the man on the inside. And he doesn't renovate. He doesn't refurbish. He totally recreates the spirit that's on the inside. It's brand new. We are new creations a brand new creature. So old things have passed away. All things have become new. But this outside man doesn't change. Just because you got born again didn't mean you lost 30 pounds. I wish. Lord Jesus, I wish. You know, when I get to heaven, if I weigh what I weigh right now, I'm going to be 5 foot 10. So it'll look a lot different. <laughs> You know, I'm not sure what I'll look like when I get to heaven, actually. You know, but whatever it is, I won't mind. <laughs> and I won't be trying to change it. <laughs> It'll be perfect just however it is. You know, but, but this body didn't change. You know, there are some things about you that I believe change when you get born again. There should be a reflection in your countenance that's different. You know, we, we've seen around here over the years when our children, as they've gotten, you know, older and, you know, especially, you know, we see it when we get them over here in the primary department. So many times Miss Jackie did such a wonderful job for how many years was it, Jackie? 20 to about 25 years she was the director of the primary department. And she can tell you that, you know, sometimes these children would come in as three-year-olds into that department, and, and they leave when they go to kindergarten. And so, you know, she, during the time that she would have them, they'd be three, four, five, you know, and some of them with, you know, earlier birthdays or something, you know, might be a little over six when they finally leave her department. But she could tell you that along the way, while they were in her department, if they got born again, there was something you could physically see different about them. You could physically see it. I remember, you know, back in 1979, uh, our plan was to go to Ramah. 
And and I had been backslidden for a number of years. Pastor got back in fellowship with the Lord in about 1972. And uh, me being the the wonderfully stubborn person that I am, um, that I was, you know. I'm stubborn still in a lot of ways. Uh, But, you know, to me it just wasn't that important. You know, so for the next five years, you know, I just really didn't want much to do with God. And so as time went by and and, uh, I I became a... aware of and had had to deal with the fact that I guess we're going to go to Bible school, I realized that life had to change. I mean, it had changed, you know, in a lot of ways, but I hadn't really completely gotten to a place where I was just going to just really just dive into the things of God at all. But, you know, we had gone out to uh, Oklahoma in May of 1979 to find a place to live out there. And, and I just thought to myself, you know, it just, I mean, I'm raised a Pentecostal girl. I mean, we, we were tongue-talking people. And yet, you know, we were, we were of a denomination that talked about tarrying before the Lord. And so, you know, all the, nobody, nobody made getting the baptism of the Holy Ghost simple. It was a complicated thing. And so I had, my husband had moved me to a word church where they said, this is easy. This is all you have to do. You just receive it. It's a gift just like salvation. You just receive it. Believe you receive it. Open your mouth and he'll fill it. You know, I'm going, well, that just sounds too easy. I mean, how can that be? But I have come to the realization if we're going to actually do this move thing to Raymond and he's going to go to Bible school and all this kind of stuff, i got to have more than what I've got right now. So on the back roads of Mississippi, coming home from Tulsa, the middle of the night, pastor's asleep in the passenger seat and I'm driving. I said, now, Lord... This has got to happen here. This is what I've been told. I have been told that it's a gift and that all I have to do is say, Lord, I believe I receive and and it's there. And then all I have to do is open my mouth and start speaking and and it'll come out. And so I'm going to put you to the test. I mean, if that's that's really how it is, I expect this to happen. And so, you know, I did. He did. It did. It happened. Yes, I got got spirit-filled in the car by myself with this man asleep in the seat. You know, he didn't know anything about it. A couple of days later, we went to, on some kind of an outing with some friends of ours. Actually, it was John and Patsy Dunning, who were just here just a few weeks ago. Another group of uh, some more people were in the group. We went somewhere. I'm not even sure now where. And she looked at me, and she said, you got filled with the Holy Ghost, didn't you? And I went, yeah, how can you tell? She said, something about your face. She said, I can just tell it all over you. There's a change that happens on the countenance. But this flesh man still has to be dealt with. You know, we get born again. And our mind has to be dealt with. From the very moment that we're born, our minds are in a training ground. Now, part of that, you know, we need to educate these these little people on, on on how to eat, you know, how to swallow, how to eat, you know, how to smile, you know. I mean, there is just information packed into those early years like no other time of their lives. I mean, they, there's studies and estimates about how much we learn in the first three or four years of life. You know, these days I, I tell, you know, I, I picked up this joke not too long ago that, uh, you know, for all of us, you know, more mature people, you know, who didn't, find ourselves raised in a computer age, we're always asking our children who think this is just so simple, how do you do this? What have I done? You know, what have I done now? What made it do that? You know, I always assume it's operator error. And, and so, you know, when they look at you like, oh, 
you're asking me something else again. You're, I, don't, I went over this before. You know, my whole standard answer now because of this joke is, remember, I taught you how to use a spoon. You know, there are things we just teach them and things that, that they, they take in and things they learn. You know, and the way we think is shaped from a very young age. And that sometimes is good, sometimes not so good. The reason people have issues today, and I go issues, is because their thinking is all wrong. Somewhere along the way, something got into their thought life that they took a hold of. Brother Hagen said in his book, Right and Wrong Thinking, he said there are two different sources that thoughts come from. Number one, they come from the outside. The devil will always bring thoughts to you. Those are things that come from the outside. Then there are thoughts that come from God. They come from on the inside of us. He puts those into our spirits, and then they come up into our minds. One of the really easiest ways for us to to regulate our thought life is to discern where they're coming from. What's the source of these things? Is it coming from in here or is it coming from out here? You know, children grow up and some kids grow up with such a confidence, you know, and you find out maybe that they have parents who, who were constantly telling the son, you can do anything. You can do anything. You, what was that? Anybody ever watched that movie, The Help? And the little girl that, that, uh, that, she was, that she was helping take care of would tell her all the time, you are smart, you are beautiful, and you are kind. You know, three simple things taken just by, and by themselves could do so much good for so many people. Just simple things like that. And yet there are people who weren't raised that way. And so their thoughts have been, have been shaped by those things that came from the outside. That's never been God's thought about anyone. You know, the kind of things that children are taught. You're stupid. You'll never amount to anything. You can't do this. Look at you. You're ugly. You're not, you're not, you're dumb. You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things that people say. You know, it's so important that, that we watch the words of our mouth. You know, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the person who's hearing what we have to say. Because those things can become strongholds in a person's life. When you're in an argument, you know, with a per another person, whether it's a family member, a coworker, a spouse, a child, a parent, no matter who it is, learn to keep a strong grip on what you say. I have thought many things many times, but thank God I was able to not say them because the saying of them brings great harm and damage to the person who has to hear them. Because even no matter how many times you go back and you say, I'm sorry, the enemy will take that and will use that to bring those thoughts back to that person about that really is true, you know. They really, they really meant that. They really think that about you. They, really, they, 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 really, they, know, you better, they know you better than you know yourself. The enemy is mean. He, he's, his job is destruction. The thief comes to steal, to kill, 
and to destroy. And thoughts are one of the ways he wants to use to destroy our lives. Just think about something as simple as multiplication tables. I don't know about this new common core mess, but I know how I, how I grew up. We learned multiplication tables. It was strictly memorization. One times one is one. One times two is two. I don't know how many of you are very good at your at multiplication tables still, but I can do math in my head really, really well. And we learned it by memorization. So what is memorization? So I, I, I went to the, to the dictionary, and I went, oh, that doesn't help me much. So I have my own little... Uh, version of it, is to think on something so long and so intently that it becomes second nature to us. I mean, for most of us, you know, five plus six is what, 11? Five times six is 30. I mean, you don't even even have to think because it's so ingrained in you. And see, that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to come into your life and put thoughts in you from an early age and right on about different areas of your life that, that you accept, that you embrace, that you take to heart so that they become a part of you. You should never let something become a part of you that comes from the outside. But see, growing up, we didn't, we didn't realize where it was coming from. We didn't, we didn't realize. You know, over the years, you know, it, it took getting into a word of faith church for me to find out that there was such a thing as wrong thinking. I mean, to actually put it into words and say, you can think right or you can think wrong. You go, well, that's just what you think. I don't have any control over what I think. Yes, you do. You have control over what comes in and what stays in. You know, there are, there are so many times that we really need to stop and go, now, wait a minute. No. No, instead of just blindly embracing some crazy thought. Go with me to 2 Corinthians 10. See, the problem sometimes is we don't even identify as a crazy thought. Because we're not judging where it's coming from. You know, we need to get so quick... To, to judge it and to dismiss it if it doesn't belong, it didn't come from God. Uh, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, thoughts become strongholds. They do. The person who thinks, I can't do anything right. The longer they think it, the more they'll say it. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's Proverbs 23, 7. As you think in your heart. See, you know, there are times when those kind of thoughts get in, get in our minds. They, take, they become strongholds and they, they get down on the inside of us. And that's, that becomes such a part of us that we, we can't get away from it. They become strongholds. But go on. In verse 5, it says, casting down imaginations. Now, I've got, I've got here written in the margin of my Bible, arguments and reasonings. And every, but I also think imaginations is a good word, too. Because there's a lot of things that come into our thought life that are just imaginations. 
They're not real. They're not real where the word of God's concerned. They're not real anywhere. We imagine some things sometimes that have no basis in reality anywhere. It says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You know, we need to take hold of every thought that comes our way. Take it captive long enough to take a good look at it and understand where it's coming from and what it's trying to do. Take it in. You, I don't have time for that. You got time to meditate on those thoughts. You got time to take those thoughts captive. What's worry? Meditating on the wrong thing. What's fretting? Meditating on the wrong thing. What's anxiety? Meditating on the wrong thing. That's a thought. That's a thought that's taking root in your life that's causing you problems. We can take every thought captive. Captive. Hold it right here. Just hold it. Take a good long look at it. Does it come from the outside? Is it coming from the inside? Is this coming from the enemy? Is this coming from God? Does this line up with the word? It says to the obedience of Christ. Well, where's the obedience of Christ found? In the word. Does it line up with what the word has to say? Does, does, it, does it help you or does it hurt you? Does it cause your life to be more fulfilling or does it detract from your life? Which is it? Take it captive. Take a look at it. If it's coming from God, embrace it. If it's not, get rid of it. Refuse to let that stay in your mind. You think, well, I can't do that. Yes, you can. Again, I can do all things through Christ. Yes, you can. Every thought should be filtered through what God has to say about any given thing. Well, the, the, the world will tell you a lot of things. Is it lining up with what God has to say about it? Oh, this country's going to hell in a handbasket. Well, what has God got to say about it? My people will always prosper. God's got a lot of things to say. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging for bread. You know, that, 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 we're, that we're above and not beneath, that we're the head and not the tail, that we're, we're, that we're blessed coming in, we're blessed going out. I don't give a rip what's going on in, in the society or what's going on in the economic world. I don't care what's going on. He says, I'm blessed coming in and going out. He says, I'm above and not beneath. I'm the head and not the tail. He's, he said, I'm favored above all people. I'm God's own. I'm the apple of his eye. I'm his own handiwork. What has what God got to say about these things? Filter every thought you've got. Sometimes we dig our own hole. You know, we just take something and we just start, you know, just mulling it over. Well, yeah, can that be true? Is that true? You know, it shouldn't take but a split second to figure out whether this is good for me or whether it's not good for me. Don't mull it over. Don't just keep on hashing it over. You know, if, it, if it's God, if it's with the word, fine. Meditate on it. If it's not, get rid of it. But so often we, we just let it just go on. And I've been there so many times, my goodness. You know, everybody has to do it. Nobody's exempt from this. 
but sometimes we dig our own hole and yet the word comes along whether we're reading it you know we've got our bible out and we read it and there's something that comes up in the word that is extending a rope to us in that hole you know somebody's put a rope down you know if we keep hearing the word and hearing the word we're able to grab onto that word if we don't take heed to what that word is, we won't grab hold onto it. We will not pull ourselves out of the hole we dug for ourselves. Doesn't James say, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations? There's your rope. Count it all joy. There's your rope. And yet there are some times where you, know, you talk to people and you, and you say, you just, you just need to praise God. And they look at you like, yeah, right. You know. You can't even get them to smile, that re- much less rejoice. And you're going, oh, okay. Okay, I can't help you if you won't help yourself. Nobody's in the hole with you, sweetheart. Nobody's going to put your little hand on the rope for you. Nobody's going to lift you up and say, okay, you can get out. now." The rope is there. All you got to do is pull yourself out of the hole. When the Bible says rejoice, it means rejoice. When James said, count it all joy, when you fall, then count it joy for the thing, no, for the fact that I'm getting out of this hole, that he's made a way, he's made a provision, he's given me a a ladder to get out of this, a a rope, There's there's been a helping hand extended, a life preserver, whatever you want to call it, has been given to me to get me out of this. You got to do something with it. You got to. And so, you know, if God provides the word or the person who speaks the word or somebody who encourages you in the word, that's your rope. Take it. Take it. I'm just reminded so much of, of this minister that we talked to one time was a friend of ours. And he was going on and on and on about this lung condition he had and what the doctors were saying and all this kind of stuff. And we just looked at him and, you know, I understand that. But the word says, he did not appreciate when we said, yeah, but the word says you're healed. He didn't appreciate that at all. In fact, he got angry about it. You just don't understand. Yes, I do. (laughs) Yeah, we do. We all understand. We've all been there. The Word says, you know, that should be our lifeline. And yet he did not appreciate it. Listen, if somebody has helped extend the rope to you, do them a favor and take the rope. Just take the rope. You know, get yourself out of that because nobody can do it for you. You know, and and it just, it's just mind-boggling to me that people who are surrounded with the word so much like they are around here sometimes will come in with these long faces and you get into a service you know and we talked about being thankful just a couple of weeks ago and what thanksgiving is you know being knowing that you're blessed being grateful for your blessings being thankful for your blessings and then thanksgiving is that public celebration of the gratefulness that you have for what you've been blessed with, they'll come in here and they'll just stand here. And I'm going, you got the opportunity 
to be in a place where you're surrounded by people who are praising God that will help you get into that place of praise and you stand there refusing to do it. I just, it just, it just, you know why? Because their thinking is all messed up. They've got, they've got, they're thinking wrong. They're not thinking along what the word says. They're thinking about their trouble. They're thinking about their issues. They're thinking about the possibilities. They're thinking about the ramifications of, of this, that, and the other. Thinking about, you know, all this stuff. And, and they're not giving, they're not giving God's word the time of day. And I'm going, how can you do that? You've seen it. I can go up to some people and go, you've seen it work in your life so many times already. What's the matter with you now? How many of us have never seen God work in our lives? Is there anybody in here who can say, honestly say, God's never done anything for me? Can I have any hands? Anybody? God, I, I want to know if you've never had, you've never experienced the goodness of God. Anybody here? Well, then, why would you not experience it again, no matter what the situation is now? If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, then your thinking is all messed up. Totally messed up. But, you know, God is gracious, and he'll keep plugging away. He'll keep throwing us another rope throwing us another lifeline, have somebody else speak the word to us. But yet, if we're going to get out of this thing, we're going to have to do something with it. But here we have, all right, first, you go you're in 2 Corinthians, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16. You, you say, well, you know, I, I, I don't know how to change the way I think. Well, number one, you need to get to this verse right here. The latter part of, the, of verse 16 says, but we have the mind of Christ. When you got born again, God made it so that you can have the mind of Christ. You, because you have the word in front of you, this word will renew your mind. We're going to go to Romans here in a minute. This word will get into your thinking and your thought life and renew it, will change it, will completely renovate the way you think to the fact you wind up with the mind of Christ. That's what we're working on every single day, having the mind of Christ. Philippians says, or the Phillips translation that is, says, we who are spiritual have the very thoughts of Christ. The 20th century translation says, we, however, have the very thoughts of Christ. Moffat says, our thoughts are Christ's thoughts. That is the goal. Now, none of us have reached it completely yet, but we're all working it. You, you're, you're thinking in the area of healing might be right in line with, with Jesus. I mean, right, I mean, 100% in line with him. But maybe with finances are concerned, you're like, I ain't, I ain't got there yet. Well, you know what? You can, you can get your mind renewed to those things so that, so that your mind thinks just the way Christ thinks about any particular aspect of life. Uh, again, 12, Romans 12.2. 12, Romans 12.2. 12, it says, And be not conformed to this world. 
but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Listen, our minds have to be transformed. We, education in general is going to, to train your minds in a certain way. Um, you know, it's, it's different now, I believe, than what it was when I was in school. People actually just taught reading, writing, and arithmetic. There wasn't all this opinion stuff that there seems to be in schools these days and ways of thinking because the educational system, at least the higher educational system, right now its main goal is to change the way you think. You know, when I was young, it was just a matter of getting a certain amount of knowledge into you. Okay, this is how you this is how you do math. This is how you write. This is what kind of grammar you use. This is this is the the history of 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 our country. This is you know, there was just knowledge being imparted. Now it seems as though knowledge is secondary to training your the minds of young people to think a certain way. And it does not line up with the word of God. Not in any shape form or fashion. You know, and so the Bible tells us that we have to, to renew our minds. It's a constant, ongoing process. But if you go back to the beginning of that verse, it says, Be not conformed to this world. There is another translation that says, Do not let the world push you into its mold. That's what it's trying to do. It's trying to push you into its mold and get you out of God's mold. But he says you can be transformed. Why and how? By the renewing of your mind. You can take this world's thoughts, get them out, and replace it with what God has got to say. Well, you know, has God got that much to say about any subject? Yeah, I bet you he does. Anything you can think of, God's got an opinion on. You know, the thing about it is, you know, we have to, we have to understand that we don't think the way God thinks until we renew our minds, until we get into the Word. Isaiah, the 55th chapter, go with me over there. Isaiah 55. Hallelujah. Isaiah 55, starting in verse 8. It says, for my thoughts, this is God talking, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Ah, surprise. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Think about that for a minute. God is saying, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. But in the New Testament, we find out we can think like God thinks. We have the ability to renew our minds in such a way that now our thoughts are his thoughts. The men of the Old Testament, that was never possible. But for us, it is possible. We can renew our minds to the degree that we think the thoughts of God. Suddenly, when we're thinking God's thoughts, thinking the way he thinks, we have come to a new level, folks. You know, now we're, 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 we're up here with God's thoughts. He said, my ways are higher than your ways. Now we have an ability to get up here where God's thoughts are. Wow, that's, that's mind-boggling now, isn't it? 
He's got something that he has a way of thinking that are all uniquely his own. You know, I, I look at finances sometimes and, and it just, now the world will tell you that to, for you to be prosperous and for you to have plenty, hang on to everything you've got. And yet God says, give and it'll be given to you. Well, those are two diametrically opposed opinions. And yet we've been schooled. That's why it's so hard for people to give. It's so hard for people to let go of that almighty dollar. It's, it's so hard for them to, to think, okay, I can give this and I'll get blessed? Really? It's because they haven't seen God's thoughts on it yet. They haven't, they haven't pulled it in and made it such a part of them that it has, has gotten down in their heart. Doesn't make sense. But why? Because God's ways are higher than your ways. Because God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. He's got a better plan. A plan that works. So many times I, I've sat down at the end of a year and, I, and I've looked at things and, and I've gone, I don't understand it. I'm a person of numbers. I mean, I know numbers. I know financial numbers. I know how this works, that works. And I don't know how this has worked. But bless God, at the end of the year, it has worked. Hallelujah. Well, I, 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 want to, I want to find the bookkeeper in heaven. And I want to sit down with them and say, show me how you do this. Show me how that happened. And they'll probably bring me right back to give and it shall be given. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom? And he'll tell me about the favor that I've had in so many places. You know, and all this. And I'll just go, yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, you know, it's, it's just as good for me just to say, yep, you're right. I don't understand it. Naturally, it doesn't make any sense. But I'm not dealing with natural things. I'm dealing with supernatural things. And so God's ways are higher than my ways. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I think I'll think like he does. It's a whole lot more fun. It's a whole lot less stressful just to think the way he thinks. You know, when he says do something, just do it. You just do it. Because, he, you know, you know he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's got it all planned. He's got it all taken care of. He's got provision already made. It's already waiting on me. The provision for anything he tells me to do is already waiting on me. Well, why doesn't he give it to me now? Because I don't need it now. Some of you are saying, well, I would do this. I would do so-and-so if God provided. Well, you never, you're never going to get to that place until you get past the if God provides. It's part of the way he thinks. You don't need it until you get there. You know, I was, I was listening to a story today about somebody who had a, a situation. I mean, it was, I mean, it looked like a dire situation. And somebody else had given them a deadline. The worst, one of the worst things you can ever do is put a deadline yourself on God of what you think the deadline is. You know, if somebody else imposes a deadline on you, that's one thing. But don't you go imposing any deadlines on God. Anyway, this thing got, got to where it was right at that person's deadline and something caused it to be extended and something else happened that caused it to be extended and something else happened that caused it to be extended and then finally we're at the last place where this is going to have to happen or else and it happened with 15 minutes to spare. Hallelujah. You know, we don't always like having just 15 minutes to spare. I want it well in advance. We all want it well in advance. But until you actually have to have it, so what if you don't have it? You know, we need to learn that that's the way God works. 
That's his ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Just be satisfied in knowing, be confident, I should say, in knowing that God's provision is always there. Always. You have, to, you have to wrap your mind around the fact that God's provision is always there. Thinking the thoughts of God. Bringing yourself into a place where I have the mind of Christ, literally and figuratively as well. Um, but this world is one to transform us. We, we cannot be conformed to this world. Proverbs 3, verse 5. You're not too far away. Proverbs 3, verse 5. You know this one so well. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. Listen, this is the amplified version of it. It says, lean on, trust, and be confident in the Lord with all your heart and mind. And do not rely on your own insight or understanding. You don't know how something's going to work out? You don't have to know. You're going to trust on and rely him on him. You're going to trust in your mind and your heart will be in agreement with the fact that you are trusting and relying on him and what his word has told you. You are thinking his thoughts at all times. You know, but I, I really, you know, you could go so many different directions with this, but I came back, kept coming back to the way we think about ourselves. And so I, I looked at several people you know, in the Old and the New Testament. And, you know, if you go over to Exodus, um, God equips us with so many things, so many gifts and so many abilities, and, and we don't a lot of times recognize those things. We let the thoughts that other people have put in our heads, the thoughts that we've thought about ourselves, you know, take precedence over what what God tells us to do and what, and keeps us from actually understanding what he's put on the inside of us. I look back over the years myself and I think, you know, I know, I know how introverted I was. I know how scared I was, you know, to, to have to get up in front of any group of people. I mean, kids I went to school with in the 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, to have to get up in front of them and do a book report or anything like that was terrifying to me. I mean, to the point of almost throwing up. And, and yet God put something on the inside of me that here I am today. You know, of course, you're nice to me. You smile at me a lot. You, you do. You know, but see, there are things on the inside of us that God wants to do through us that if the enemy can convince us and keep us convinced of our inadequacies and our inabilities and our shortcomings and our preferences, he will keep us from fulfilling what God has called us to do as individuals. Moses, here in the fourth chapter of Exodus, you know, he's been raised by the Pharaoh's daughter. He's found himself at a place where he has killed an Egyptian. Obviously, if you read through that story, you will see that he had an awareness of the fact that he was a Hebrew. Now, it's very likely that in the king's palace, even though his adoptive mother was the Pharaoh's daughter, it's very possible that there were people in that palace who did not like him because he was a Hebrew. Everybody knew he was a Hebrew. He understood he was a Hebrew. 
It doesn't say this, but I can just imagine some of the things he might have endured. Uh, what about some of the, the, the Pharaoh's other grandchildren, natural grandchildren? How do you think they may have looked at Moses? I mean, how do you think they might have, do you think they possibly some of them may not have accepted him well, may have taunted him, may have put him down because he was a Hebrew? It's all really possible. I, I, can't, I can't help but imagine you know, that, that that's something that could very easily have happened. So anyway, he, he kills an Egyptian because an Egyptian was beating up a Hebrew. And he killed this man. He buried him. Later on, he comes upon two Hebrews who were fighting amongst themselves. And he tells them, you need to stop fighting amongst yourself. And they go, what are you going to do, kill us like you killed the Egyptian? So, I mean, at this point he knows, okay, my secret's out. You know, I hid the body, but everybody knows, and so I've got to get out of here. And then Pharaoh found out about he's running for his life. Well, he's out in the, out in the wilderness. He's working for, for Jethro. And God comes, and he starts talking to him. And he tells him that he wants him to go back. He wants him to go back to Egypt and to bring the people out. And in verse 10 of chapter 4, Moses says, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto your servant. I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who has made man's mouth, or who makes the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth, and teach you what you shall say. How many times has God come to any of us and said, I want you to go do this? And we've come back at him going, yeah, but Lord, I can't. I have this problem. I have this issue. I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm not the other. He didn't ask you based on what you thought of yourself. He based his, his request on what he's already seen in you. And he's seen a lot more in you than what you've seen in yourself. You think you're not capable of things, certain things. Yes, you are. Whatever God asks you to do, you're equipped to do. He'll make a way for you to do whatever he's asked you to do. It might be a little at a time. It might be just a little along the way. It might be one step at a time. But ultimately, he will get you to the place he needs you to be at to fulfill the part of the plan that you're supposed to fulfill. we got to stop looking at ourselves and thinking about ourselves in terms that are just natural of what we've been what we think we have naturally been gifted with or not gifted with, the, any lacking that we have physically or mentally or emotionally, none of that matters when God says, I want you to do this. All that matters is that he's confident enough that I can do the job, you can do the job, and that he's equipped me and he's providing a way for me to be able to just step out and trust him. You know, I just realized here not too long ago that I can finally get up in a pulpit on Wednesday night and not be sick. Do you know how long it's taken me to get past the point of, of major nerves just to get up here on a Wednesday night? It's taken a long time. But I realized just not long ago, hey, I don't have all the butterflies on Wednesday night anymore like I used to have. Now, if I, move, if I go somewhere else besides right here, the butterflies are back. <laughs> But because you know me and you love me and I love you, it's, it's, it's so much easier. But see, God's always going to equip you. Don't be like Moses and say, well, yeah, but, but I, 
I, I, I can't talk to people. I can, yes, you can. Yes, you can. You know, what pastor's been ministering on the last two Sundays about us getting out there and making friends with these different cultures and ethnicities and, and people that don't look like us and sound like us and, and think like us and talk like us. You know, we can do it. You know, your first inclination is, well, I can't do that. I can't just strike up a conversation with a pure stranger. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. You're not fixing to lead the people out of the, out of the land of Egypt, you know. It's just one person God wants you to talk to. Just one, you know. Just, just somebody maybe in the grocery store, somebody at the convenience store. It's not like going to the, to the Pharaoh's palace and going and saying, let my people go. I mean, you know, there is a little bit of a difference here. That's on a different scale altogether. Who knows but what one day you would do that? Who knows? You know, there's one verse that said, I'll bring you before kings. Who knows where your journey will take you? But it starts with one, just talking to one. So like Moses, Moses God provided a way for Moses. I mean, he, he provided him with Aaron. He said, I'll tell, I'll tell you what to tell Aaron. And Aaron, because he speaks well, he can, he can do the talking. But you know, that didn't last forever. That was a temporary measure. Listen, there may be some temporary measures God takes with you to get you where you really need to go and what he wants you to do. But hey, that's great. Just take the next step. Then there's Caleb. Go with me to Joshua 14. I love Caleb. Joshua, 14th chapter and the 12th verse. Now, we understand, we remember, if you know your Bible, that uh, they sent in the 12 spies, uh, one from every tribe, and Joshua and Caleb are the only two who came back with a good report. You can go back and you can see with these, with these people, the other 10 said, oh, they're giants of the land. We are grasshoppers in their sight. How did, why did they think they were grasshoppers? The giants didn't say, hey, you grasshoppers. They, they didn't tell, the giants didn't tell them that. They told themselves that. That's what they thought about. They looked at those, those big guys and that's what they thought. We are as grasshoppers in their eyes. Listen, don't decide what you are or aren't in somebody else's sight. All you need to be concerned about is what you are in God's sight. You know, we imagine so many things. Well, I can't talk to that person because they would think they would think this. What do you know what they would think? Number one, it doesn't matter what they think. And number two, their opinion of you could be very different. The children in that, the people, the giants and the people in the land, especially when you get to Jericho, you see this all displayed that, that Rahab the harlot said, we've been in fear of you from the day you arrived in the land. We've been trembling. And yet the spies came back saying, we're just grasshoppers. We can't do it. We can't do it. I know. We know that's where God told us to go, but we can't do it. We can't do it. We can't do it. And Caleb and Joshua were the only two who said, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, we can do it. We can do it. They're thinking was in line with what God had said. Their thinking was, it didn't matter to them that these guys were giants. It didn't matter. It just, all that mattered to them was God said. And you know what? That's really what it all comes down to. Your thought life ought to be just totally encapsulated in two words. God said. God said. That's the two words you should be concerned about. God said. But Caleb and Joshua comes back. Now we can do it. Well, as you know, 40 years comes, 40 years goes. 
all those people who were in doubt and unbelief died off. New generation came up. I believe there were other people besides Joshua and Caleb, you know, who thought the same way. It wasn't just these two men. Because I look back, you know, and I, and, and I look at Joshua, you know, the very, the very verse that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That tells me, that implies to me that his household believed what he believed. You know, it's important your household believes what you believe. So anyway, you get, you get past this 40 years, they're ready to go in. Caleb is now 85 years old. What was his thing? His thinking is, I have passed into Medicare age. I need to just sit down and let somebody else do the work. I am over this. I've done my time. I've, you know, no, somebody. No, he said, I'm 85 years old. I'm as strong as the day I was 40 years ago. Give me this mountain. And yet some people just sit around and go, I'm too old. I can't do this. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Whatever assignment God gives you, yes, you can. I don't care how old you are. If God said do it, he hadn't changed his mind. He will supply you. You might be a little slower physically than you were. But Caleb said, I'm, I'm as strong as I was back then. You know, wouldn't it be nice if we all had that same attitude every single day as the years go by? I'm as strong as I was when I was 35. I'm as strong as I was back in it didn't matter what God would say. He would say, I can do it. I can do it. I had some guy try to help me lift my suitcase down of an overhead bin on the last trip back home on an airplane. I went, I'm, I can do this. Thank you, but I can do it myself. I go to the gym. <laughs> Move. <laughs> this lady can do this. You know, but I just look at Caleb. I mean, that whole, the whole point is, you know, his thinking could have been, I'm too old. Let the young guys take care of it. And yet he was ready to lead the way because his thinking was right. Okay. Now, we go over to, to Gideon. We're going to talk about Gideon over in Judges, the sixth chapter. Judges, right after Joshua. Judges 6, verse 15. Gideon. Man who's going to lead an army against the Midianites. God has come to him and said, I, I, need, you, I need you to do this. And Gideon, let's see, I wonder where I want to start. Let's just start in verse 11. And there came an angel of the Lord, sat under an oak, which is an Oprah, that pertained to Joash, the ab. Abzerite and his son Gideon threshed wheat by the vine press to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this fallen us? And where be all his miracles which our father told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O oh my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Listen, he's already given excuses. God's got an assignment, and he's given him God excuses. He's saying because his thinking is all wrong, he's going, my family is, is, is just, it's just poor. 
My family's poor, and, and, I, and I'm the least in my father's house. One translation says youngest, but, I mean, you can take that word least in a lot of ways. I mean, maybe his brothers were always telling him that you're, you're nothing. You're just the young kid. You're just this. You're just that. Who knows? But his thinking was all messed up. And so God had to get a hold of him, and obviously, you read the rest of the story, he prevailed with a few men. Just a handful of men, he prevailed against the Midianites. See, his thinking had to change. He had to be willing to go where God let him get his thinking right. Ruth, we won't turn there, but you go to, to the book of Ruth. This woman comes back with her mother-in-law into the land of Israel from the land of Moab. Now, Israelites did not take kindly to the Moabites. They were, you know, you know, those people, you know. The Israelites, I mean, they had, they had this thing about themselves, you know, that, okay, we're God's people. No, you, you people are not. You're, you're nothing because you're not God's people. But she comes back into the land because she won't let her mother-in-law go by herself. She comes back into the land. She could have come back in and let the way that people thought about Moabites influence her. Her thinking could have all been, you know, I'm just, I, I, you know, let me just keep a low profile here because, after all, I'm not one of them. But you know what? She didn't let that stop her. She, she finally married Boaz and became part of the lineage of Jesus. She could not let everybody else's opinions influence her. She couldn't let it affect her. She couldn't let her keep her from her, the destiny God had planned for her. Now let's quickly go. I'm running out of time. Uh, quickly go over to, to the New Testament. Mary, we won't go there. Mary, the mother of Jesus. When angels appeared to her and said, you're favored amongst above all women, and tell, begins to tell her she's become the mother of the Son of God, did she stop and say, yeah, but I'm only 16 years old. I mean, how can that be? I've never known a man. I mean, after all, you tell me I'm going to have a baby. I've never known a man, and how's this going to work? And I, I mean, she could have just, like, freaked out, you know, on this whole thing. But her calm demeanor was, okay, great. We'll, we'll do this. So tell me, how are we going to do it? You know, there's a way to say how to God, and there's another way to say how. You know, one is out of unbelief, and one is, okay, give me some direction. And that's what she was doing. She was just saying, Lord, give me some direction. Her, her mind was, was not delving into the place of her age or her, or her station in life or the fact that she was, an un, she was a virgin. Or that she was just like, okay, Lord, this is that my assignment. You just tell me how we're going to do it. I'm ready. See, her thought thoughts were lining up with his thoughts. She didn't look at herself. She looked at God. And then you go over to uh, the Peter. I'm telling you what, this, this guy, Peter, and I was, today when I was uh, looking at Peter, I went to all four of the Gospels. You know that the whole uh, episode where Jesus has been taken in and he's being beaten and He's already told Peter, he said, you're going to deny me three times before the night's out. Peter, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, Lord, no, no, no. Just, you know, full of himself. You know, you, you can't be full of yourself. You have to be full of God. Anyway, he says, oh, no, no, Lord, I, I would never do that. And before the night was out, he had done exactly what Jesus had said was going to happen. It's recorded in all four of the Gospels. Not every event is recorded in all four some are just in a couple of them. You know, but this is all four Gospels record this. And I'm thinking, poor Peter, four guys had to write down how he blew it. 
four. Couldn't just be one Lord. Couldn't be just one person who made a record of it. Had to be all four of them who had to record this. But it's interesting. In Matthew 26 and in Luke 22, both of them recorded that he wept bitterly. They used the word bitterly. In Mark, it just says he wept. In John, it didn't record any reaction whatsoever. But can you imagine? I, I'm thinking today of, of how it says he wept bitterly. Can you imagine the sense of failure that came on him? Can you imagine how that weighed on him? Can you imagine how if you fail, three times he failed Jesus. Three times in one night he failed the Lord. Can you imagine that at some point the enemy doesn't sit on his shoulder and say, that's it for you, buddy. This is the end of the road. You'll never be used for anything ever again. You denied the Lord. Can you imagine how often have we failed in something and we've let the enemy get on our shoulder and put such condemnation on us that we were basically immobilized. And yet, what do you see when you get a little further along in the book of Acts? Peter's the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost and preached a powerful sermon. And 3,000 were added to the church that day. Failure is not final. You may not let your thinking convince you that it is. God says, do not allow that. Do not allow any failure on your part to condemn you to a life of failure. Just because you failed once, twice, three times, four times, five times, a dozen times, I don't care. It does not condemn you to a life of failure. You are not the failure. You are still mightily used of God if you let yourself begin to think like he thinks about you. And then there's Paul. Can you imagine what Paul had to deal with in his thought life? That he had, I mean, he had to go deal with, he's a murderer of God's people. Ananias, when God told him to go lay your hands on Paul so that he'd receive his sight and that he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, Ananias is going, yeah, but Lord, I've heard about him. I've heard the things he, he's done. Don't you think that Paul was beating himself up over that as well? He was. He had to get his thoughts to line up with God's thoughts. He had to get, his, get himself in line with what God had told him to do what God was calling him to He didn't know the extent of what God was calling him to do yet. How could he have known how mightily God was going to use him? I mean, the very fact that he had such a divine visitation on the roads of Damascus might be a clue that this is something spectacular here. So if he's moving like this, you know, God's got something big in mind for me later down the road. But he had, he, I honestly believe he had to get past the condemnation of, of his actions, of how he had had persecuted the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here again, you know, he has to go back to thinking the thoughts of God, bringing himself up to a place where he has the mind of Christ, getting to a place where his thoughts are higher than 
than what he used to think. Now his thoughts have to be up here on par with God's thoughts. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The amplified version of that. Uh, no, I don't even want to do that one. Uh, Isaiah 26.3, I'm a little over, but that's okay. I've given you two minutes before, so I get them back now. Uh, 20, Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee. If your mind is stayed on him, your thoughts will become his thoughts. The Amplified Version of that says, You will guard him and keep him in perfect and constant peace, whose mind, both its inclination and its character, is stayed on you because he commits himself to you, leans on you, and hopes confidently in you. How do you get your thoughts to line up? Well, how about going to Philippians 4, verse 8? This will be our last verse before I let you go. I promise. I promise. I promise. Not like some people, you know, but I promise this is the last one. How do you get your thoughts to line up? Here you go. Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. He tells you what to think on. Amplified version of that says, whatever is true. Whatever is worthy of reverence and is honorable and seemly, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and lovable, whatever is kind and winsome and gracious, if there is any virtue and excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on and weigh and take account of these things. Fix your minds on them. I want you to leave with this thought tonight. You need to, where you're concerned about what you can do, who you are, what you are, what you have, what you can do, um, you need to get it in line with the Word of God. God wants to use each and every person. He can't use you to the extent He wants to use you if you don't think about yourself the way He thinks about you. You'll never get, a, get into faith like you should. You'll never receive what you, what you could if you don't think the way God thinks about you. Sometimes we said, I don't have enough faith. I can't do that. I have failed so many times at believing for this, that, or the other. I can't do this. Yes, you can. You need to start thinking like God thinks about you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.